When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey everyone, this is the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast, a Spotify and Villa Romana Network production. I'm Alan Nevitz. And I'm Joey Santos. Well, we haven't heard that music in a while. Is that a new song? No, that's the same song. I know, but that's how long it's been. I know, a little crazy, right? Yep, it's kind of refreshing to hear the song, though. Remember how last year it was, like, annoying? (laughs) (laughs) And then we had all this time off, and it's like, oh, wow, that's a nice song. I know, it sounds good again. (laughs) Yeah, it does. So it has been an entire year since our season one. They told us we shouldn't wait this long, but we did it anyway. Yeah, we're busy, and I mean, it's not like, has anybody missed us? But it's kind of nice to take that little break, and then because so many things have changed this last year, too. And to be honest with you, I'm not as kind and gentle as I was last year. <laughs> oh no, it's worse. <laughs> oh yeah. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. Why off do on you it. say that? Because it's very difficult being a kind and gentle, optimistic, consistent human being that I am in a world full of crazy people. Yeah, the world is topsy turvy. I do worry about it actually. People are mean, and people are all about themselves. The smallest courtesies have gone away. Never a thank you. And just the way they talk about each other on television, the news is driving me crazy. Both sides, no matter what channel you watch, they're just rude as could be. Everything is them, and it's driving me nuts. It's just not pleasant. It makes me want to go back to Europe. Yeah, but it makes me want to go ballistic. And then back to Europe. I don't even know how to say it because I don't want to become that guy that's pissed off and like everybody else that we're talking about. I'm more amazed the behavior for the simplest things. I mean, not even a, you you know, if I'm pulling out of a driveway, you know, I'm getting cut off. I'm getting honked at. I mean, it's it's two minutes. It's not even two minutes. It's two seconds of, of a pleasantry. Like, go right ahead or... Or past me, or or in the supermarket, or someone is barreling down the thing with a cart and then cutting in front of you. Can I go ahead of you? Listen, I had two rolls of toilet paper. She you, had a cart. Only two rolls. Two rolls. I was having company, <laughs> <laughs> or a stomachache. I don't know which, either or, or both. She had a full cart worth of stuff, and she pulled right in front of me. She says, "Can I go ahead of you?" And I said, "Go ahead of me with, you have like twenty-eight diet cokes and." And a cart full of stuff, and I have two two things, two items, and it's an express lane. <laughs> you know, it says fifteen items or less. 
uh, hello, mathematician. <laughs> anyway, I just said, no, not today. I'm sorry. No. I, I have two items. And then she gave me a, a terrible snub. I went like, what? Everybody is about themselves suddenly. I don't understand. And by the way, just to put it out there, the world will not work that way. It will not work. But I will say this, as much as I do complain or, or it frustrates me, because I do believe I want to see better. And when I do see that, it totally makes all that other stuff okay. Because then there's still some f sort of hope that you see in other people. And you just go, okay, I can deal with this moron. Because I, I, I just had an, uh, a conversation with two people that were absolutely fantastic and patient and kind. Right. So I think we have to just balance better. So... I guess we need to get back into the swing of things here. Yes, we do. And uh, well, yeah. I know what I want to talk about. Well, what do you want to talk about? Because I finally saw it. What, bros? Bros. You finally saw it? It's already on cable. I, that's how I saw it. <laughs> I wasn't going to go to the theaters after I I saw it in the theater. I know you did. Mm -hmm. you, you're one of the people that gave them $2 million. <laughs> yeah. Or whatever they made. $5 million. It was a complete dud. But after seeing it. I mean, it was pretty dreadful. It was a TV movie. That's the, that's why it was a TV movie. It was never should have been a feature film. Well, it couldn't film. have been a TV movie with all that explicit stuff. Well, you know, an X-rated TV movie. Although, you know, in this world, it actually could be a Disney TV movie. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't between it? all the lyrics Wait, of songs? It? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I got I a little. I have to say to you, it. I mean, there were some chuckles here and there. There were some good laughs. You know. A but lot not of as it, funny, I, I, like Sex in the City is funnier as a TV show than, mm -hmm. you know, that was. Yeah. The writing wasn't, you know, superb and, you know, all, not that I was wasn't expecting it? that. But I think the casting was off. I think some of the... Um, way off. Yeah. And I think some of that the... That was the problem. Uh, you, 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 you didn't buy it from the very beginning. No. From the opening thing, you were like, these two people would never be together listen we live in west hollywood we grew up here in west hollywood we know what hot is we've been hot you know we knew <laughs> what <laughs> you know what i mean and then that's just not no that was his that was a dream. dream shall meet you know that was his dream he thought i'm gonna a make fantasy. a movie and i'm gonna put the a hot guy in, you know so i yeah. can you know <laughs> but it didn't work you know it might you might lucky have a mercy bang as that two hundred dollars, yeah, for two hundred dollars. <laughs> you know, after two hundred dollars and a lot of tequila, a lot of tequila, <laughs> and a couple bumps. Yeah, it just, it just didn't <laughs> work at all. No, I didn't buy it. I didn't no. buy it. And I didn't buy. Jay. And I love Jay. He's a neighbor and a friend. Sorry, Jay, you were really good, but I just I couldn't see the casting <laughs> as his brother. I didn't no, see they the did. casting I thought the same thing when Jay came on. I was like, he's his brother? That makes no sense. And if, if you're going to do a film that you, ha you have a chance to get in the mainstream, you know, of a gay film, leave the sex out. Listen, as cool as everybody wants to be is, and as, as, as all right as every, supposedly everybody is with that stuff, they're not. And I'm uncomfortable watching somebody I was uncomfortable watching and some it's of just, it. I mean, it's... Well, don't you have an imagination to tell a story without being so graphic? Especially when it's not that comfortable for most of the world to see two guys. It's not a comfortable thing in any way, shape, or form, by the way. <laughs> Forget seeing it. It's not comfortable. It was not comfortable doing in it. many ways. 
I mean, he has a certain sense of humor. That, he's funnier on the street. Yeah. You know, all right, shut up, keep walking, get out of here. You know, yeah, that's yeah, funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, for 10 minutes, so. Yeah. That Not movie two was hours. two hours. All right, well, we've already given it more time than it Sorry, deserves. Billy. <laughs> Sorry. Moving on. Have you seen anything? Uh, I did watch something about. else kind of stink. Oh, we watched something together we really liked. What was that? We screened it at my house. Ticket to Paradise. Going to the opposite extreme. We did, yeah. I loved it. With and uh, you know George why? Clooney. Not a, not a cuss word in it. No. It was pleasant and it was uplifting and funny and charming. And it was just sort of a breath of fresh air compared to things that are out there you know no cringe moments and i just thought it was delightful and they're so good together well it's also refreshing and i always love to see good actors together there's a 20-year friendship there's a chemistry there it's light it's easy it's it's you know and but to see really that's that's what hollywood is yeah. really good actors well and he's so charming too and then and she's so charming she. that's it and you just go and it makes you drift away a little bit it's you know is it a great movie no but what but is, is a great so movie anymore? entertaining it, it was it took so me away sweet. for two hours i sat there and didn't Loved think of it. anybody else or anything else beautiful scenery yeah it, you know made me want to go to fiji yeah. You know, and, and the kids were great. The the ones that played. Wait, the, were they in Fiji? It wasn't in Fiji. Yeah, was it was it? Fiji. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> coconut here or coconut there. What's the difference? But um, the kids were great. You know, I, I loved it. I, I thought it was really charming and, and very sweet. So that was a nice little break from the usual, you know. Yeah. Stuff. What about, um, what was that movie I watched to on Netflix that... Uh, Ryan Murphy, The Watcher? Jennifer Coolidge yeah. is in it. She's hilarious. She plays a realtor. She's very funny. Oh, those gays. Those gays are so much fun. And uh, it has some funny parts. It's Naomi Watts. Uh, it, it was interesting. I, I didn't love the ending. And interesting because it's a true story. So uh -huh. I mean, they could have used a little creative license there at the end, but I guess not. Did you go back to that um, White Lotus Hotel? Well, it just started a couple of weeks ago. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. So get on it. I want to see that too. I haven't watched it either. <laughs> right. You're bitching No, but you. I will. Because you know, I represented Mel White. Oh, you and, did? Yeah, who is his father. Right. Oh, that's right. Did you know that he and his father did that game where they run around the, uh, the world? What's that thing? That TV uh, show? 80 Days? Uh, no, uh, 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 that thing. That Treasure the Amazing Hunt. Race. Yeah, The Amazing Race. Did you know that Mel they and did his and father him, and son. Yeah, he did yeah. father and son. Did they win the million dollars? I think they came in second or something. But I, I loved watching it because I like them so much. I, I met him a couple times. And mm -hmm. of course, Mel, I've known forever now. So I'm, I'm glad that he's having this great success with this. Yeah, so has there been anything else that you really enjoyed, whether at Netflix or... Well, for Halloween, of course, all those Halloween movies came. Oh, I can't with that. I can't with Jamie Lee Curtis. No, no, forget that. This sleeper movie called Terrifier 2. Have you... Do you know about this? No. Okay. This movie came out. It had a budget of $250,000. It's about this Art the Clown. This thing is like watching a snuff film. Remember those things? No. Snuff I, remember, films. I know what they you know are. what they are but you remember they were hot in the 80s or something anyways this thing was so violent and so i, I don't even know how to describe it will and i watched it 
all the time I had my hands up. No, no, I can't watch this. I can't see that. I can't see that, right? Oh, really? The movie was released in theaters with almost no promotion. They begged theater owners to sort of show this thing, right? And it, I think it was 750 screens or 800 screens when they released it, thinking it would only be three days and it would be gone. It did like $5 million in those three days, which is a lot for a movie that nobody's ever heard of, right? Right. Now, I don't know if you know, but you know, usually movies, they come out and then on average, they fall sort of 50% each week, right? They go down at the box office 50. This thing has, because of word of mouth, has sustained and has not gone down. In fact, it went up about 4%, it said. So each week, it's been... It's Climbing. been a little, yeah, or holding its own. Mm -hmm. It makes Halloween look like Christmas. <laughs> well, there's been some scary Christmas movies, too. Trust me, just look at the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> Speaking of Hallmark Channel, yeah, I've never watched it. Yeah, That's she... where What's-His-Name from Bros came from. He did all those Hallmark movies. Who? The hot one from Bros. He... He played the guy, he played the boyfriend or the husband in all those Hallmark movies, like six of them or something. And, and then he's he, gay in real life. And then, well, then he decided to come out. But he played all the, he played see, all the. See what that channel will do to you? <laughs> six movies and I'm screaming out. <laughs> oh, but they're all so sweet with perfect music. I know, perfect I get a toothache snow, every time. Perfect. I... Let's catch up a little bit. It's been a year. It has been a year since we did this. Do you know that on the calendar, that's 12 months? Oh, thank you. I was wondering <laughs> 365 how that yeah, I was days. wondering how that works. Just for some of you that are a little challenged with that. <laughs> yes. 365, 12 months, mm -hmm. one year. Yes. Now tell me something good. <laughs> well, we, we, we've done some things in that year. Yeah, but, I, and, but I'm waiting to hear the news. Oh, well, I went away last summer yeah. without you. Yes, I know. Horrifying, I know. And we talked about you a lot. Because I went to Italy for three weeks. Right. To the villa. But at the end of the three weeks, I took the train up to Venice, where my good friend, who you know, Peter, oh, yeah, my exchange student brother, mm -hmm. uh, met me. He picked me up in Venice. We drove to his house in Austria. I stayed with him and Christina for three days. Had to fly to Frankfurt to change planes to go back all the way back down to the south of France, which didn't make any sense to me, but this is how the flights were. And who's stuck in Frankfurt all day and sitting there waiting for me when I arrived, but Julie and Gary Thompson. Oh, wow. They met me at the gate. They were there for 14 hours or some ridiculous thing because their flight was they also delayed. delayed. Yeah, they were delayed. And I forget where they were going. But of course, we were meeting them in Dubrovnik later, but there they were. And so I had like 20 minutes with them, and then they had to push me back onto the plane <laughs> to go back to Marseille, France. And of course, they didn't put my luggage back on the plane. Same flight, same plane. They took my luggage off and never put it back on. Jeez. I got to Saint-Tropez, spent a week there uh, without any luggage, never came. Well, you don't need much in Saint-Tropez. Lufthansa, by the way. Lufthansa. There's no way to contact them. No, well, th that's the hardest thing for me to wrap my head around is not being able to have any customer service. It drives me insane. I, I went through this. I mean, first of all, trying to get a doctor's office is impossible. Trying to get an appointment at a doctor's office is impossible. When you finally get it, it's two months out. Right. 
And then they say they don't need more doctors. Clearly they do. They have enough patients, which is I ran out of patients. That's for sure. They have enough patients. You have no patients. I have none. Zero. (laughs) And then, but forget, you know, anything you're trying to speak to a human being for, impossible. I called, what was I trying to find something at Target of all places? And here's the killer. The, the, The recording goes, Target is hiring. Press two to speak to a person in HR. Press one for product. Press two for this. Press three for that. So I kept doing that, pressing the two for the product department. You know, I was trying to find a certain item. If it was in stock before I made the the drive to go over there, park my car in the Beverly Connection, take the escalator. It's a pain in the ass for one thing that I was trying to find. Right. So I said, all right, well, screw this. I'll call back and I'll hit the HR department. And I'm going to complain to the HR department and say, you know, now I've called five times and the guy and the guy in the HR goes, oh, well, and hung up on me. This is HR. Mm, that's why they need to hire more people. So they can they fire, need to hire, fire the ones that are already that, there. Got in my car, drove over there, found what I needed. Luckily, there were two of what I was looking for left. And I, I, I was this close to finding, where's that HR office? <laughs> but I didn't want to. This is the world we live in. First of all, too many people. I know. Too many But too many people. horrible people. Why and can't there be many too people. many people or plenty of people that do a great job? Why can't there be so many friendly people? Why can't there be so many, you know, people that are wanting to work and, and look good and feel good and be pleasant? Why can't that there be those people? Way, Why can't there be the Hallmark Channel people? <laughs> where are those people? Where are those people? Are Maybe those, I'll watch where that are those channel after phony, all. Fictitious I think people. I'm going to become a Hallmark Channel watcher. Just so I can feel good about everything before I get out into the world You'll make of it horrible people. It's how the world should be. I think we can move on. I think so, too. I think we can move into this interview, which I'm, I'm very excited about. So we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back with Michael Fanone. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I got you, man. I got you. 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 I got
So that audio you just heard was played, the video actually, you may have seen it, that video was played for the January 6th investigative committee. And it's a little difficult without the video to sort of hear exactly what's going on without the prompts. But that first guy was screaming, I got one, I got one. And he was referring to that they were they grabbed somebody out of the Capitol and, and pulled them outside into the crowd. And that somebody was Michael. Then the second guy who you can hear a little clearer uh, is a little scary because he's the guy screaming, kill him with his own gun. This is like a sacrifice. Yeah, terrible. And something that cops, uh, of course, always have feared getting mm -hmm. shot with yeah. their own gun. And this guy's screaming to the crowd, kill him with his own gun. Then you hear a lot of sort of higher pitched, louder screaming. And that's actually Michael, who is absolutely terrified that they're going to kill him. And you may hear him screaming, I have kids, I have kids, because he didn't know what he could do to keep them from killing him. Like and, it matters to them. Yeah. So he was begging them and saying, I have kids, I have kids. And then I'm going to say, luckily, although the guy should not have been there, but luckily, this guy came out of the crowd and started screaming, don't hurt him. Don't hurt him. Wow. It's, it's, it's heavy duty. So heavy duty. for that. It's going to stick with you for a while. This is Americans treating no, these are other Americans. Americans. These are Americans. Americans. <laughs> or American. American. I don't know how they say it. But it's definitely not an American. Yeah. I can tell you that. And this is them not knowing anything about this cop not knowing who he voted for, not knowing what he stands for, not knowing whether he was with them or against them, and they were ready to kill him. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just don't know where our country has come to that you are ready to kill somebody because of their party affiliation. I'm speechless half the time because this stuff, we're in really deep shit. We're so divided. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll talk about it in this interview. But you know, as as you and I have discussed, we really feel that uh, the fringe elements of our parties speak for us when they don't speak for us. Correct. On both sides. This is not, you know, the Democrats are better than the Republicans. The media allows both ends of the fringe to speak for the middle. Mm -hmm. And as we know, the middle is the biggest part and we shouldn't be letting the fringe speak for us. No. So we are very excited today to have with us Michael Fanone, who actually is now an author. And I was looking at the Amazon bestseller list today. I, I think you might make the New York Times list. Now, this take week. the might part out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll be honest <laughs> with you. I, I, I'm still uh, in shock that uh, people refer to me as an author. Um, so New York Times bestseller... Um, <laughs> I mean, hey, that I guess that'd be great. It'd probably be fantastic for uh, John, my co-author. But um, I mean, just the fact that I've got a book is, uh, you know, pr pretty amazing. Well, it's better than some of the other things they've been calling you. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, uh, uh, you should go with author. <laughs> author's probably the nicest thing that um, that I, I could be referred to at this point. There yeah. you go. And so, we're going to talk about some of that. Now, just so you know, uh, Joey, who is a celebrity chef as well, has designed designs a drink for all of our every episode oh. yeah, for each episode. And he's designed something for you. 
and I'm going <laughs> to let him tell you a little bit about it. If you were here, we would be drinking it, but since you're not. This drink, it's called the Hillbilly Margarita. And it's usually served alongside like a 78 cutlass on cinder blocks, you know, <laughs> rusted. But uh, today we're having it here in the studio. Uh, it's actually vodka, um, limeade, and a beer. Oh, nice. And there you go. Yeah. We, and we I noticed there was a lot of beer in your book. There was a lot of beer drinking. Yeah, that's where we got the inspiration for the beer, for, for this drink, because of the beer. We wanted to do something that was refreshing with the beer. But it's an actual drink. But the real name is... Um, hop, skip, and get naked. And I got introduced to this drink at a party in a very small town in the Midwest, and everybody was drinking, and I was like, what the hell is that? And then I had two of them, and I was like, okay, it lives up to its name. <laughs> and then I figured with this, all this madness you've been dealing with, I thought it was more appropriate as a hillbilly margarita. So either way, cheers. I appreciate that. Cheers. I've got some ideas that Simon & Schuster turned me down for, um, that you might be perfect. Uh, my thoughts for a follow-up to hold the line were uh, cookbooks, um, one of them being uh, Meals to Fuel an Insurrection, <laughs> <laughs> Meals to Fuel the Defense of the Capitol. So I figured we could get uh, both sides of the um, you know political aisle, so to speak, when it comes to January yeah. 6th. And, you know, those that were pro-insurrection, they can buy the meals. Exactly. There you go. And, and we'll, do, we'll do both sides of the grill because I'm sure everything will be barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, Michael, before we get into this, uh, I think Joey and I both want to tell you we've been following your story. I read every single word of your book, cover to cover. And I, uh, we want to say days. how much. In two days. Yeah. I did it in two sittings. Um, how much we appreciate your service appreciate what you've given up to do the right thing and how sorry we are that your life has been turned upside down. I told a bunch of people that we were having you on the show today and Joey and I both have Democrat and Republican friends and both sides asked us to personally thank you and tell you how, how sorry they are for what you've been through. We have moderate Republican and Democrat mm -hmm. friends. You can believe that Joey and I cross the aisle plenty depending upon the subject matter. And we feel that how you have been treated. It's, it's mind-boggling, mind not boggling. in this country, and, and, and everything you stood for and stand for, it, even just as a police officer. I mean, what you have to go through every day, your training and, and your commitment and, and the vows you take for that and all the things that you constantly do for us. It's just unbelievable that you can still be the, maintain the character that you have and be as healthy as you, as you are at this moment for what you've been through. Yeah, I mean, um, that's not to say, I mean, obviously, if you read the book or if you've you know read a, quite a few of the uh, articles about me, I mean, I've been very yeah. upfront, uh, honest and, and transparent about, you know, some of my diving into some pretty dark spaces. So it hasn't okay. all been rainbows and unicorns. It, it's a, it was amazing to me the, uh, the level of indifference uh, when all I was trying to do was advocate for my uh, my coworkers uh, on that day and, and speak the truth about mm -hmm. what happened. And I, I mean, unfortunately, I think that speaks to uh, to where we're at as a country right now. Yeah. I, you know, the one thing that shocked me as I read the book is, you know, you went to the Capitol that day because people were attacking it. It's our seat of government. 
It represents our democracy, and you went to help to protect it. It's not like you asked people to show you their political card. <laughs> Your job is to protect the Capitol, no matter who's attacking it. doesn't matter whether they're Republicans, Democrats, Russians. Your job is to protect it. And what I found most fascinating about this is that people are now attacking you for having done your job. And all you were trying to do was protect the Capitol and the people that are in it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, unfortunately, um, the, the event has been politicized, um, but but not in the way that uh, I think some Republican members of Congress would have you believe. It's been politicized by the Republican Party uh, in that they you know, have downplayed the reality of that day, uh, the brutality and, and the violence. They've mischaracterized uh, the events uh, that led up to it and, um, and and even the events in the aftermath of that day. Uh, and so uh, it's not what I expected when I started speaking out. Uh, you know, my advocacy was for acknowledgement uh, for the officers. Uh, and then I found myself having to counteract this false narrative that January 6th was a, a false flag operation that was orchestrated by left-wing politicians or by the FBI, uh, or that it was Antifa that stormed the Capitol that day. Uh, I mean, listen, I voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Not that that should matter, uh, because what I'm saying is the truth, uh, but the reality is I, I supported Donald Trump. Um, I didn't in 2020. Uh, but I responded to the Capitol for no other reason than I heard uh, other officers in distress and I saw the violence and destruction that was playing out uh, right before our very eyes. And that was my job. My job right. is to respond to, uh, you know, critical incidents in Washington, D.C. I think what's most frustrating is that they've politicized this. It makes me crazy because had this been a bunch of liberal Democrats doing the same thing, I would be just as furious and I'd still feel that they should be strung up right there in front of the Capitol. I, I just found the whole thing so offensive. Everything is being politicized these days, no matter what it is. We're not getting anything done. And, you know, the Dems and the Republicans find something wrong with everything. If the Dems like it, the Republicans say no. If the Republicans like it, the Dems say no. No matter how good it is for the country, they just want to fight each other to try to gain points to keep themselves in their office seats. But it's all forgotten 10 minutes later. There is nothing that sticks. Look what happened with Nixon. He was out the next day. The next day. Yeah. Well, and Republicans voted for him and, to be out as correct. well. Correct. <laughs> And here they make excuses and lies. And it's well, just like because they had moral backbones then and now they don't. Now it's all about how do I keep my job? It's about power and, yeah. and ego. Remember and when conspiracy theories and drugs were fun? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's all changed. <laughs> well, I think part of the problem is that we've allowed the fringe to take over. Right. It's the fringe conservatives way out on the edge of the bell curve. And the, Republic, and the Democrats, the same. And that's who you hear on the news. I don't think 24-hour news has helped any because they both are pushing forward an agenda and only let you see certain things. I mean, I don't know about you, but I sit at home and I flip between MSNBC and Fox just to see who's reporting what. And it's shocking how much both networks are not reporting of the news. Cable news is toxic. I say this as a uh, somebody who receives a paycheck monthly from a... Um 
24 hour news network. You know, it's created polarized environment that we find ourselves in today. And I mean, it's not necessarily, I think that the programming in and of itself is, um, is so awful. Although I do find, um, you know, some of the conservative media sites, at least some of their shows are just purely entertainment. Uh, although I think you could probably say that about some of the more left-leaning. Yeah, I think they're all entertainment. Right. That being said, it's the way that we consume it. Um, you know, I, I was talking to my mom the other day and she's like, oh, I, I saw you on this show and then I saw you on that show and then I saw you on that show. I'm like, mom, why are you watching all that crap? I say the same shit on, you know, six different shows uh, that all, you know, while they're on the same network, they all operate independent of one another. Uh, and it's just a repeat and turn the shit off and go outside and, and do it, do something. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I found myself a victim of that where I, it was just on the background, but somehow that those subliminal messages, the stuff you're hearing sticks in your head, even though you're not really paying attention to it. And you start to operate under the impression that like the whole world is exactly what you're seeing on this screen. And it's just right. not reality. It's I mean, not listen, reality. We have a problem, I think, with uh, you know fringe groups in America, but they're not the vast mm -hmm. majority of Americans. Uh, I mean, if you ask me, I think the problem that we have in America is we've become indifferent to our fellow Americans. Um, you know, we see things through the eyes of you know our own uh, perspective and uh, our own experience, and we're not willing to engage with people uh, who might have you know, a differing uh, opinion on how to do things, how to live their lives. Uh, and we forgot that this is a nation that's supposed to be accepting of, you know, all different types of people uh, who have, you know, uh, different pursuits in mind and, and different ways to, to live their lives. And, and shit, that, that's what makes it fun. Um, right. I yeah. want to hang out with a bunch of Mike Fanones all the time. <laughs> well true. i think what's most confusing about it all or most frustrating about it is i mean when we were growing up you never had a problem with your republican neighbors and you had them over and friends and your parents had you know groups of people over that had different ideas about everything and nobody was fighting i really think the news service has divided us in the sense that they put out the worst things there's i hate nothing more when they say the democrat are not against crime like i'm sitting at home going oh gee i hope someone murders today oh yeah or, I, I want to i hope someone robs my I house want to live in a ghetto that, that's not <laughs> I, I, just, I don't know what kind of democrat that is i've described myself in a lot of ways and uh and i've had myself described in a lot of ways but never uh, uh you know really until maybe 2015 2016 um did did people start uh referring to themselves as like i am a democrat I am a right. Republican and all that that entails. I think that those names and that those monikers are so dangerous. Uh, listen, that shit's for politicians. You know, let politicians right. um, refer to themselves as a, as a Democrat or Republican or an independent. And Americans right. are should just be Americans. Uh, and and, and human beings. Right. And your okay. politics should go. You should be a la carte. If you yeah. like one issue, absolutely. If you, if that means something to you, then you know, then you can uh, look for candidates that are supportive of that issue, and uh, I, that's how it should be. You know, we we've gotten to this situation where you know we're we're only aligning ourselves with uh, with the red or, or with the blue, and and we're not willing to accept that you know that the majority of our neighbors may feel differently about a specific issue. It, you know, it doesn't mean that we need to kill them. 
Well, not all of them. Yeah, but you know, it, it goes deeper than that because when you think about it, it's like that with every situation. Not only now, now you're just not an American, you're a black American. Not only are you Asian, you're an Asian American, or you're an Asian attorney, or a black attorney, or a black. Everything becomes a label. So we're just not people anymore. Yeah. We're defined by these labels that we put on ourselves. You know, whether you're gay and then you're binary, non-binary, this, that. It's, it's all these things. And you know, who can keep up with it? I, I mean, I think we need to get back to, like, as a country, um, realizing what, what actually makes this country great. And that's mm -hmm. diversity. And I mean, it really, Correct. You know, um, I mean, that it should be a, a human uh, experience. Uh, right. But just when you're talking about these United States, I, I think we definitely need a return to um, to acceptance. And uh, yeah, I agree. And obviously, like you talked about the you know the the title of this uh, politics and um, and what politeness. politeness. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, there's just got that's an oxymoron right there. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, just absolutely. the way they talk to each other is horrible. I mean, you know, civility. Like what I don't understand it with like a lot of. It, when you're talking about January 6th, these people that came to the Capitol and this violence fetish that they all had. Like, mm -hmm. I, I was a cop for 20 years. I worked narcotics. Uh, I mean, I've experienced violence um, at some pretty extreme levels time and time again in, in my career. And that's not something that I gravitate towards. Like, I, I don't want to live in a world where it's 1776 every day and I've got to, you know, charge the hill, so to speak, in order to, uh, you know, accomplish whatever it is that, um, you know, that I want to accomplish. Like we've come a long way from that. We don't want to go back there. Uh, and I don't understand right. why we have so many Americans that, um, that feel like uh, brutal violence is the American spirit. But I is, think it, is it the spirit or is it the fact that people want to be what they want to follow? So they're in a group of people that are doing this. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do that, too. Do they really believe in it? Do they or do they really know anything about what they're standing for, what they're screaming for? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is that Americans somehow have been pressured to feel that there's a win, that somehow we can get everybody to be a Republican or everybody to be a Democrat. And what they don't understand is that th this is why the system works, is that there is a push and a pull. There's an evening. and They've got to understand, okay, sometimes you're just not going to win. Sometimes you're going to lose a thing. you got to fight to get it back. But it's yeah. what keeps everybody in the middle. And I think they somehow feel that they can move everybody to one side or the other, which is going to be impossible. They're trying to play an impossible game. There is no win. The only win is that we get along and we find the areas that we can agree on and move forward with those. I mean, rather than fighting about these little things, why are we not all saying, hey, we want crime to be down. What do we do about crime? What do we do about this? What do we do about Homeless. And find the solution. I, I think that... Um... I'll talk about why, like, I gravitated towards Donald Trump in 2016. Yeah. Um, you know, 2016, I was a single-issue voter, and my issue was law enforcement. Uh, I saw rhetoric that was being utilized by, you know, uh, Democratic politicians, um, pundits on the left, uh, and I saw that rhetoric as being responsible for uh, not only the, you know, breakdown in the relationship between law enforcement and the communities that were charged with protecting but I saw it as instrumental in, uh, you know, these assassination-style killings of police officers mm -hmm. uh, that we saw in 2015 and 2016. You know, whether it's Dallas, Texas, 
Louisiana, New York City. And I attended those, some of those officers' funerals. Uh, and I can tell you that, you know, the, um, the way that that uh, moved through the law enforcement community like wildfire, um, I mean, police officers were, were scared. Uh, they, yeah. were, they were concerned. Um, and they were scared about just putting on the uniform and, and going out uh, into the public. Um, and so, you know, I heard this rhetoric from Donald Trump and, and I bought into it. I think that, you know, there were a lot of people like me that uh, that believed the rhetoric, they believed the hype, and then they quickly came to realize that that this was not, um, you know, Donald Trump was not who he purported himself to be. Correct. Uh, and so, I, I bought into it too, strangely. Yeah, I did too. And yeah. then I didn't vote you, for him, but once he won, I sort of hoped that maybe he'd get some of the things done he promised yeah. he would do. I thought that he spoke like for the first time a person spoke not like a politician. Right. You know, I, I believed that, wow, somebody's really coming from the New York or, you know, because I'm a New Yorker originally and, and, I, and I, I heard it. But then I quickly, as I watched the body language and I saw everything that went along with it, Matt, I, I dismissed it completely because it yeah. and I, he never lived up to not to one part of that. The other thing that I think was appealing for like a lot of specifically like Republicans was this uh, kind of win it all cost persona that resonated with me but i certainly didn't think that what he meant by win at all costs meant literal democracy and right. installing himself uh as a president even though he wasn't elected to that office um but on to this day yeah i mean unfortunately there are still members of his you know they call the hardcore base uh and these aren't republicans these aren't anything other than Donald Trump diehard supporters that they still want to see him uh, installed as the leader, regardless of whether or not he actually uh, won right. the votes or, or won the electoral college. If you don't have accountability for January 6th, if people that were criminally culpable for that day are not held to account, tried you know, before a jury of their peers, then we're going to see that, like we have, play out in all these other uh, elections in which they pull from that playbook that, you know, I'm not going to accept the results of the election um, and I'm going to declare myself the winner. And what are you going to what are you going to do about it? Regardless, um, you know, challenge right. me. I think what's most annoying is that they put themselves forward as the law and order party, and yet they don't want to do law anything about order. law yeah. and order. No. If you broke the law, then we should be punishing them. I don't care what well, party they are. And they've, of course, made it into politics that this is about one party trying to prosecute the other. But for me, I wouldn't care who it is. They need to be prosecuted. Absolutely. And if there's one message that I could get out to, like, my brothers and sisters in law enforcement throughout this country is that there is no law and order party. Uh, political parties do not um, care about police officers. Uh, political parties care about public safety and crime. Uh, because that's what gets their candidates elected to office. They do not give a shit about, you know, Joe or Jane police officer in America. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, this blindly voting for one political party or, or voting against another political party, thinking that they somehow respect you as an officer um, is crap. I've come up with a solution for that. I think we need a new three party system. We have the liberals, the conservatives, and the moderates. 
And the moderates, by far, will be the biggest party. I mean, you and I, as a Democrat and Republican, have more in common than I do with liberal Democrats in my own party. And that's what people forget. It's the old bell curve, right? The people in the middle share more than the ones out on the fringes. Well, they keep forgetting that a Democrat, a Republican, any of those are not people. It's just, it's not the human being behind it. It has become that. Now, when you say a Republican, there's a face you see. That's a scary thing. Do you know what I mean? Now you're labeled a Democrat is this person. That's what a Democrat right. looks like. You know, that word Dem, you're just a Dem. I, don't, I never met you. Because yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden I live in California and you like this and you want that. It's like, excuse me, I'm just trying to buy my groceries. Would you mind? I don't know this person that's yelling at me in the supermarket. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree. I agree with you. But it, <laughs> at the, you know what? So what, what do we do to change that? And I mean, un unfortunately, we get rid of 24 hour yeah, news. Well, that, I mean, that stop watching this shit. Um, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, by the way, you know what? Com get a life. life. What annoys me about that is there's supposed to be news. And they have a news license, which allows them to take cameras certain places and do certain things that other shows are not allowed to do. But the minute one of those hosts puts their own opinion in it, that should not be news anymore. Because when I turn on that TV, and that's why now I really prefer watching the nightly news where you just get the news. You don't have somebody telling you what you're supposed to be thinking. But the minute they put their opinion in it and say, oh, this is not good for Dems, or I hate, you know, even watching MSNBN, and they say, oh, they, meaning the Republicans, they, like everybody watching them doesn't want to be with a Republican. I think their news licenses should be suspended well, because news. that's no longer news. If I'm sitting in my living room watching this program, and they're, they're, they're saying the exact same thing from one host to another, from one hour show to another hour show. And I'm looking out the window and th something is burning and exploding outside. There was a big fire, a big... And nobody's reporting that. They don't say breaking news. They don't do... Remember no, how before you knew what they're was going on when it was going on? They're this entertainment the networks disguised as news. Yeah, no, I mean... Uh, well, that's what they are. I got news All right, But at the you. end of the day... Uh, we have a lot of stuff to talk about in your book. Yeah. Okay, so at Michael. the end of the day, I mean, ultimately, like we're as the consumer, you know, whether it's that news or, or as the voter with regards to our politics, like we're ultimately responsible because, you know, these people, they react to um, to what resonates with us. And so, you know, right. overwhelmingly, Americans are tuning in to cable news uh, because, you know, they if there are liberals, uh, or Democrats, they want to watch MSNBC because it's comfort food for them. And if they're uh, conservatives or, or right leaning, that they're going to turn in, tune into Fox News because that's comfort food to them. Um, and we're right. all talking to each other uh, in an echo chamber uh, and talking amongst ourselves. And that's just mm -hmm. adding, yeah. uh, you know, fuel to this divisive fire that we uh, were experiencing. Yeah. I could watch a lot of Fox things. I watch Fox. I watch some of the shows can't bear to watch Laura Ingram. I don't know why people watch her. She's so mean and she she's nice so legs. dismissive. <laughs> she has nice legs. <laughs> but you know, it's going to become like elevator music after a while. Right. It's just on. Yeah. yeah. So that said, Michael, let's talk about the 21 Republicans <laughs> who voted against a bill to award the Congressional Gold Medal to every police officer who defended the Capitol. Again, I don't see what politics has to do with this. They should be happy. You protected them and you held the Capitol, you and your colleagues. 
And I don't understand why these 21 were so against it. Do you have something you can add to that? I mean, I found it completely shameful that Kevin McCarthy wouldn't meet with you and that Andrew Clyde refused to shake your hand. I mean, you protected them, put your lives at risk. And was it four or five officers died? Four officers and one civilian? Uh so one officer died as a result of his injuries that day, and, and another four officers uh, committed suicide. Right. And we're going to get to them a little bit later. But he wouldn't shake your hand after you defended them? I don't understand this. I mean, listen, there's like um, there are Republicans who voted against the congressional gold medal bill because I think, of you know, they're in uh, districts in which uh, doing anything or going against Donald Trump um, would be, you know, disastrous to their political careers. Uh, and there, you know, there were quite a few in that mix uh, of the 21 that that voted against it. Uh, but there's also, you know, your your Paul Gozars and your Andrew Clods and your Marjorie Taylor Greens and oh, don't mention. That I talked her. about. Uh, they're like the tinfoil hat Ooh. brigade. I mean, these are people that are unwell. <laughs> they are. Um, She's a no lunatic. IQ. Or they have no IQ. Yeah, I mean, they're just not operating with, um, <laughs> you know, with full deck of cards. Their reality is not something that you or I would recognize uh, in any form or fashion as reality. Yeah, right. They're playing poker with a pinochle deck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's that crazy. Yeah, no, I mean, it, I mean, it, it absolutely is. Um, but somewhere in America, there's a constituency that supports these people. So here we are. Well, that's only if you accept the idea that they were Trump supporters outside. If you just say we were attacked and so we're going to reward these people who protected us, that's fine. That means they buy into the idea, those 21, that they actually were Trump supporters, which is why they won't support giving the Congressional Gold Medal, because it wouldn't matter who attacked them. Let's talk about the more fun things. Part of your book, <laughs> the more... <laughs> Part of your book that I found really funny is that was checking the IDs oh, of the members the, coming, in the coming in to Congress. And the I, attitude they'd have. Yeah. Like, how and, dare you? You don't recognize me? What, what are you, a superstar? I, I love this because there are celebrities in Hollywood who have assistants. And it was less about the congressional members as it was the assistants that you pointed out that have that high and mighty sort of idea that you should recognize them as well. And I laughed because I've dealt with assistants in Hollywood who are so rude and so mean, and they think they're the celebrity that they work for, whereas the celebrity could be really nice and kind. And then suddenly they have this assistant that is like, well, what do you mean? I can't do that. And I don't fly that way. And we don't take those kinds of cars. It cracks me up. So I loved that. Tell me a little bit about one of those stories. I remember so many times where, um, you know, in my brief uh, time spent as a United States Capitol Police officer, I was only there for about a year. Uh, and that was at the beginning of my law enforcement career. You know, you would have these interactions with members of Congress that would come to your, you know, security barricade or, or your, um, you know, doorway. And they're supposed to submit to certain security protocols, pass through a metal detector and, you know, place your bag through a, um, you know, an x-ray machine, like very basic stuff, you know, and I get it um, from time to time. It can be slightly time consuming, but these are security protocols that are put in place, first of all, by members of Congress, because ultimately it's the speaker and leadership 
uh, who you know set these security protocols in conjunction with the House and Senate sergeant at arms. But then they want to subvert their own security protocols uh, because it's too time consuming or they're too much of a uh, <laughs> celebrity to have to you know take the time to pass through uh, a you know a magnetometer. And they treat the Capitol Police officers like armed concierges. Uh, and I mean, that, if you've gotten to know me or read some of the things about me, that shit ain't going to fly. <laughs> Any names you want to drop? Marjorie Taylor Greene. Who's that other temperamental one? You know, it's on both sides of the aisle. I mean, somebody oh, told sure. me, like, early on, there was a reporter um, who I met with, and, and she was telling me, this is back in my first kind of period walking around Capitol Hill advocating for for January 6th, she said, you know, Mike, Capitol Hill is Hollywood for ugly people. <laughs> I bet you, though, if I were just to pull one out of my hat and say the one that would be a real uh, pain in the ass going through that has got to be that Queen Leslie Graham. <laughs> it's got to be her. <laughs> I know she throws a hissy every time she has to walk through that x-ray. I guarantee Yeah, no, I, there is something off about uh, old Lindsey Graham. Remember, <laughs> I remember sitting there. He's one of the senators that uh, myself and Harry Dunn, um, uh, Barbara Comstock, who's a, a former member of Congress, and then also Gladys Sicknick, mother of uh, Officer Brian Sicknick, we went and met with uh, when we were advocating for a bipartisan commission to investigate January 6th. And I remember uh, Gladys Sicknick. Now, Remember, this is the mother of an officer who lost his life defending the Capitol on January sixth. Uh, mm -hmm. Just you know, very quietly and uh, you know humbly said that she felt that Donald Trump was responsible for what happened that day, and Lindsey Graham threw a fucking hissy fit. He snapped at her. You know, said that he threatened to end this meeting if we talk any more about Donald Trump and his culpability for that day. There was no doubt in my mind or that of, you know, most uh, reasonable Americans that Donald Trump in the immediate aftermath of January 6th was morally and ethically responsible for what happened that day. I think all of us have come to learn, or at least those that accept reality, have come to learn that he was criminally culpable uh, for the activities that occurred that day as well. But certainly you could lay the blame, um, you know, morally uh, at his feet, even before the select committee um, completed its investigation. Started the investigation. Yeah. I just, all I could think about was like, what the fuck does Donald Trump have on you, Lindsey Graham? The problem is they can't win <laughs> without win without his followers. Yeah. This is about politics. I think a lot of those people agree that they don't even like Donald Trump, but they need him on their side of the aisle. And so well, they flipped put up a few with times. Him. He was he was against Donald Trump all of a sudden, and now oh, he's a responsible girl. And look what she did. <laughs> and then now, <laughs> right up his ass all over it. Yeah, no, I mean, if you, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar. So obviously I worked narcotics, but I also, you know, did stints in vice. And um, you know, there's a term that's used in the world of prostitution, uh, the bottom bitch. The bottom <laughs> bitch is like the, you know, the, the pimp's top earner and uh, top, you know, top dog. Well, I found that there is a um, very intense 
uh, competition going on on Capitol Hill to be Donald Trump's bottom bitch. And Lindsey Graham mm-hmm. is uh, is definitely in the running. Yes, she's <laughs> running all right. <laughs> right through the depends. Well, now that you brought up your undercover, there is something serious I want to talk to you about that I found very touching in the book is I want to talk about Leslie Perkins. Mm-hmm. Here's someone that you became quite friendly with over many years. For me, I thought, what could be more of a mismatch between what I would think a Republican cop and this transgendered black HIV positive prostitute? Tell us a little bit about Leslie, because her story in the book combined with yours is quite touching, and I know it affected you quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, uh, Leslie became one of my closest friends. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, we lost her uh, shortly after January Mm -hmm. 6th. Um, she suffered a, a series of strokes and uh, and passed away. I, I met her very early in my career. I was still a patrol officer, and she was the queen bee uh, of an area where she uh, you know was a sex worker, peddling her wares you know, in my patrol area. I think at first our our relationship was uh, pretty transactional. I was a police officer. Uh, she was an informant. She gave me information and I paid her money. Over time, she became you know, an incredibly trusted uh, confidant. I came into policing as a white kid who grew up in the suburbs. You know, I went to Catholic school all the way up until my um, freshman year of high school. Just had not really had any exposure to uh, the black experience in America. Uh, I had no exposure to people living at or below the poverty line. I had never met um, let alone been friends with a transgendered person, never met somebody who uh, I knew to be uh, HIV positive, and certainly never met anyone that was uh, crack addicted. Leslie was my introduction to all of those things. She gave you a crash course. I was going to say, all in one package. <laughs> yeah. You know, this, there's a, there are times in which I think all police officers can fall into uh, this pitfall of losing sight of the humanity of the people that you're charged with policing. And it's because they come from such a different environment than what we may see as normal. You know, my friendship with Leslie prevented me from falling into those uh, pitfalls. And so, you know, even as a a very aggressive narcotics officer, uh, I came to recognize that more often than not, I was dealing with good people doing bad things to get by rather than dealing with bad people. Leslie was a constant reminder that, um, you know, there are good people uh, in all walks of life. Yeah, unfortunately, I think we become desensitized in a lot of uh, our situations in life, whether it be with our work or, I mean, and then all of a sudden it takes somebody like that to bring you back and wow. And I was talking the other day with, uh, with one of my old partners uh, that I work narcotics with and he was saying that every good story that we had as uh, as drug police involved Leslie. Like every funny moment, all of our best cases, they all, you know, involve Leslie. It comes through loud and clear in the book that, you know, that there was a, a, a touching and meaningful relationship there. So I wanted to bring it up. Now, chapter 10, my heart was beating as I read this chapter. This is where... And I actually think I had a tear in my eye as I read this, uh, as you describe what was happening on the Hill as you rushed over there to help. 
And I forget who Glover is to you. Is there your superior in some way? Who is Glover? He was inspector. Uh, he was then promoted uh, just after January 6th to a commander. Uh, but he was the top dog in our special operations division. In, in these typical you know, demonstrations and, and large-scale uh, events, he was the one that, that ran the show. Right. Well, you had said that he'd sent out a distress call at 1033, which he made on behalf of the entire unit. And in 20 years, you'd never heard that. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, uh, I was an inner city police officer for two decades, um, working in a major metropolitan uh, department. I mean, calls for distress coming from officers occur pretty frequently. That being said, I, I don't. I had never heard in my entire career an agency um, distress call, and that was coming from the U.S. Capitol Police. Then ultimately hearing uh, Robert Glover, who, if you know him, you know that, uh, I mean, the guy is like uh, a savant. He's like Rain Man when it comes to orchestrating uh, the defense of, of um, police lines and, and uh, handling these types of demonstrations. And he's devoid of any emotion whatsoever. So hearing him really getting emotional on the radio, what I would describe as crying out for assistance. Um, and I mean, that, that was something that I took note of immediately. It shook me. I want to ask you about officers Howard Liebengood and Jeffrey Smith. I want to know what was happening in their personal lives that caused them to take their lives. Were they being bullied by friends or family or fellow officers? Why do you think they did that? Do you have any insight as to why they would go to such an extreme? I don't. And, uh, you know, while ultimately, I mean, obviously I, I never did that. Uh, I came pretty damn close at times. And it, it was for a variety of different reasons. What I experienced on the 6th was traumatic. Uh, but I had a career in law enforcement to prepare me for uh, the violence that I experienced that day. Ultimately, for me, it was the um, criticism that I received from, you know, my fellow officers uh, within my department, people that misunderstood my motivation for speaking out, that saw me as a, a glory hound. And then it was, you know, it was people that we perceived to be leaders, lawmakers, members of Congress, mischaracterizing or, or lying about what happened that day. Uh, I think something that became a, a common theme amongst the officers that were there that, that fought was, you know, how could we do that? And people just don't give a shit. And it was that feeling of uh, just complete abandonment from everyone. Yeah. There's a, there's a very touching story where I think your mother has gone to visit your sister and you called and said, I don't like you not being in the yeah. house. She had some sort of feeling that she knew maybe she should return to the house. Yeah. No, I, I mean, um, I was very fortunate. Uh, you know, a lot of people uh, they talk shit about the fact that I lived with my mom at the time. And I, I think that, you know, there was a reason uh, why. And I'm incredibly grateful. And it just so happened that, you know, my mother in, in uh, her profession was a trauma therapist. You know, that support was um, very important to me. Well, I love how she comes off in the book and I love how close you are. And she should get a medal, 
I love the story of her going on the news and letting everybody have it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, um, my mom's a firecracker. Uh, yeah, she has you know, she's a very uh, subtle Mama and bear. Uh, subdued manner. But when she gets pissed off, man, um, she scares the shit out of me. There was also there's also an interesting thing that came out of this is your friendship with Don Lemon at CNN. The one thing that jumped out at me is he asked you how many members of Congress had reached out to you after January 6th, and you told him zero. Yeah. I found that really disturbing. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you guys brought that up. Um, Don Lemon was the first person uh, who really reached out to me after January 6th. In fact, I, I remember the phone conversation vividly. He called me that following Sunday, and I think I talked to him on the phone for like three and a half hours. You know, I, I'd never spoken to him, never spoken to anybody from the media prior to that. And, you know, we just had a conversation. And it, it like I said, it lasted hours. And we talked almost every day for months uh, before I even ever agreed to uh, to do his show. And so it was clear to me that um, that he cared. Yeah, which is great, which is important. You need friends that think differently. You, you have to. How can you understand the other side if you don't? You know, people are so shocked, like, uh, how is it, you know, you're a, um, you're a redneck cop, a white guy, like you're friends with a black gay man. And I'm like, it's just fucking Don Lemon. And then you're like, oh, well, yeah. you know, you guys have so few things in common. Well, actually, we have a whole load of things in common. And maybe, you know, like, get your head out of your ass and you recognize that, like, most of us all have many, many things in common. You know, the way things are now, we can't get anything done, right? Nothing gets done. Had we had this attitude, we would never have gone to the moon. And even now, space exploration has gone private because... They can't agree in Congress whether to fund NASA, not fund NASA, go to the moon, don't go to the moon. I don't think people understand what came out of our going to the moon. Everything from the camera in your phones was developed way back when in the 90s by the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. CAT scans came out of our going to the moon. LED light technology and water purifiers that's just a small list of some of the things that came out of our government funding the trip to the moon and things that needed to be developed to Tang. get us there. Tang. <laughs> <laughs> Memory foam, by the way, Memory was developed. Foam. Yeah, my pillow. <laughs> that asshole would never have made so much money if it weren't for us going to the moon. One of my favorite parts of the book is the chapter called Army of Morons. It's a depressing chapter to read in some ways, but it's also the most amusing part of the book because you really tear these guys apart in this chapter. You do not hold back. These were the original seven guys that the FBI was hunting for assaulting you. I think what really busted me up is you said you were almost killed by the dumbest guy on the planet <laughs> and how humiliating that would have been. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would have uh, I would have rolled over in my own grave. Um <laughs> Well, first of all, like I wanted to draw attention to, you know, you, you have these uh, politicians today and, and even people in the public that hold these people up on a pedestal as like great American patriots. Interesting that um, the dynamic there is because these are people who in no stretch of the imagination would be referred to or, or considered to be uh, patriotic 
uh, had they not stormed the Capitol on January 6th. These are convicted drug dealers. They are uh, convicted spousal abusers. Uh, they are pedophiles, pedophiles uh, individuals who, you know, never paid child support. Um, you know, these are really like losers, the dregs of, uh, you know, of society. Um, I mean, I remember in, in what was it 2015 or 2016 when uh, Hillary Clinton said the basket of deplorables. And I was so pissed off because I thought she was talking about me. Well, I'm pretty sure that uh, this is who she was referring to. <laughs> They all are yeah, yeah, the yes. basket of deplorables. Right. And but now they're being hailed as uh, as heroes. And then you look at the interviews, um, you know, that have become publicly available. Uh, Daniel Rodriguez in his interview, I mean, he describes himself as, you know, a stupid son of a bitch. You know, he can't believe he was so dumb and talks about how he was a failed marijuana dealer uh, that would get beat up by the other uh, drug suppliers. Really pathetic story of um of how he came to be supportive of donald trump and that's the donald trump fan base those are the guys that you know would accept him shooting somebody on park avenue and getting away with it i'll be honest with you my my original uh title for that chapter was something different but my my editor said i'd get canceled <laughs> oh oh that oh do you want to say it here <laughs> You lost it a bit when you testified in front of the January 6th committee, which I, I could not wait to watch this when it came on. But you slammed your hand and told everyone how disrespectful it was to treat officers who defended them in this manner. Uh, I want to give you kudos because I, I would have lost it actually much worse. Uh, you know, you protected them and they <laughs> abandoned you. It's so disrespectful. And I actually feel bad because Liz Cheney, one of the few Republicans that has a spine and guts stood up there and now you know she's been sidelined and voted out of office and she's the only one that really has a moral compass because she's following what's right and wrong not what's republican or democrat i agree um i mean i i think that uh, you know unfortunately there's very few people on capitol hill that i've interacted with that i would describe as uh, statesmen liz cheney is certainly one of them uh, nancy pelosi was certainly um another one you look at the Republican Party today and it's, you know, a mixture of the tinfoil hat brigade and then hundreds of members who are just completely indifferent and concerned only with their own uh, political future. And that, I mean, in and of itself is, uh, I mean, what a just a national embarrassment. Yeah. Oh, my friends in Europe are calling me and sending me messages going, don't you understand how much we depend on America? What is going on in your country? We can't answer it. We can't answer I know. it. And, it, you know, and, it, and we've now lost the ability to um, look down our noses at, at other countries and say, well, you know, we've always had a peaceful transfer of power and, and we're the example for the world. We're not that anymore. We're laughing stock. We are. And I, I mean, it, it was shocking to me um, traveling abroad, you know, post January 6th and, and hearing Europeans and and. You know, obviously people from other countries say that, uh, you know, we, we're just not going to go visit America. You guys have become the joke. Yeah, there was a time that Parisians would consider us or France consider us the ugly Americans because the way we behaved in traveling back in the 50s and 60s and things like that. And then we fought hard to 
to change that, they started to respect us again, and we brought the ugly American all over Europe now, all over mm -hmm. the world. And I'm ashamed that people have done that to us because I don't think we are. I think there's, like you said, a small group of people that have just polluted everything that we stand for. I mean, that argument can be made to, to a whole host of different uh, issues in America where we, we listen to the loudest voices in the room. What Donald Trump has come to uh, represent to me is literally the manifestation of the worst that America could possibly produce in, in every respect. Um, the level of indifference, ambition, um, you know, to the point where he would, I think, you know, step on or, you know, decimate anyone or anything uh, that gets in his way. And I think that's personified in, in his uh, character. And, and now that's what um, comes to represent us abroad is uh, everybody thinks that we're all a Donald Trump. Right. Yeah. Well, in history, interesting how our first president supposedly never told a lie. And now we're going to remember it for that president have never telling the truth. It's, it's it? hyperbole. <laughs> um, you know, oh, what the hell is that? Yeah. <laughs> hyperbole. I, I, I can't even say it verbally. <laughs> Michael, we can't thank you enough for your service, your courage to come forward. I know you've made two friends here. Yo, for you can sure. call on well, us are, anytime. We, we were friends of yours the minute you, you stood up for everything that you stood up for. So we're, we're forever friends. Well, for I, I mean, um, when I get back out that way, uh, which should be in the near future. Um, call. Dinner call. party. We'll do a dinner, dinner we'll party. Do something. You got to make me some of those, uh, what was it? The hillbilly. Hillbilly margarita. <laughs> We'll have a whole party themed around you and your margarita. I love that. <laughs> yeah, let us know. So we would I, love I that, actually. Don't let the naysayers get you down. You did the right thing. That's what counts. Well, thank you. Uh, okay, we have a little guest wrap-up that we're going to put you through just to torture you Yeah, this bit. is just a light moment at the end Got of it. it all. We're going to ask you a few questions, and you just respond with what pops into your head. The first one's a little more thoughtful. What bothers you most about the world today? What's the one thing that sets you off or raises your anxiety level? Fucking Donald Trump. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Boom. We, easy. Two. Okay. Regrets or regret you have? No. I don't live my life that way. Right. Indulgence? Hmm. Indulgence. They could be anything. anything. It's something that you that you indulge in that you like. I mean, who knows? Maybe you know you secretly watch the Kardashians under the covers <laughs> at night. This is not this is not a Disney production. So say whatever. No, you no. Want. I mean, um, you know, post January sixth, my biggest indulgence has been time with my kids. I spent twenty oh, years. That's a good one. You know, addicted to law enforcement. I, I'll be honest with you, man. I was. Uh, Many, many times I, I placed my career over uh, family, and now I'm, I'm grateful, um, even though it means I'm unemployed, but uh, I'm grateful for the, uh, the time that I get to spend with the kids. Fear. That all of this was for nothing. Mm, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, hideaway or a place, a getaway. Malibu. Sean Penn's backyard. <laughs> Tell Sean to put you up in his guest house. We'll have the party at his house. Yeah. All right. These these last two should be good for you. Favorite insult? I like referring to uh, Trump supporters as Trump's bottom bitches. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to thank you for spending so much time with us. I, I really um, did enjoy myself. So thank you, guys.
know, we really enjoyed this interview. The book is a hit. It's a bestseller. It's number six on the New York Times. I was going to say. And I said to him that during the interview, he said, I don't think I'm going to I said, you are, I guarantee you'll be on the bestseller list. Yeah. And what do you know? Number six. Number six. Two Guys from Hollywood is hosted, created, and produced by Alan Nevins and Joey Santos. Music by Luca. This podcast is a production of the Villa Romana Network in association with Spotify. Spotify.